We're glad to be sharing the ministry of Tabernacle of Praise with you. Now join us as we receive the Word of God. I think a lot of people are discovering what we just prayed. Uh, the simplicity of just calling on Jesus' name. Just calling on His name and the power that's invoked in, the, in His name and the power of the Holy Ghost. Uh, there's a resurgence man, across America, probably going on across the world if it's going across America in understanding what that means. And so that's not what we're going to talk about tonight, but uh, I think that's something that we ought to be keeping in prayer that <clears throat> all the media wants us to see is the bad, keeps us depressed, keeps us in fear, all this stuff. And, it, and it's all hogwash. We, we, need, we need to focus on find what really is happening and just sink ourselves into it. Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. And we're going to talk about a subject we've talked about several times. And there are very many avenues. There are so many different avenues to what we're going to talk about. Uh, and that's keeping the past in the past. Keeping the past in the past. Uh, you know, you've, heard, you've probably heard a thousand sermons on let the past be the past and get over the past and move on from the past and all those things. But there's a couple of tools I want to talk about tonight because uh, there, there's a secret to keeping the past in the past. And it's very simple. It's very very simple. Philippians 3, let's look at verse 13. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. And if in anything be ye be uh, otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. One of the things I notice in this scripture is that when we're, we're, when we're not minded on the things of God, God will remind us. Oh, you got to just pay attention. He'll remind us that we're not mindful of the things of God. Paul says the first thing we have to do in moving forward is forget about the past. First thing we got to do is, is put the past behind us. And listen, who had a very littered past? Paul. He had a very littered past. I mean, look at Acts chapter 7. As they're stoning Stephen, Paul's standing there with Stephen's clothes at his feet. I mean, he 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 pressed on with it with things that you know in a past that probably none of us have have even come close to that. And yet he was able to say, you know, for, you know how hard that would be to forget. Think about this a second. You you killed someone, or you you've split up a family, or you imprisoned someone, or you took children away. How hard that would be to forget. But he said, you know, you got to forget, and there's there's a secret to that. You know, sometimes your past can be filled with shameful things, can it? The shameful things, and isn't it weird how the good things of the past are hard to remember, but the shameful are easy? There's a reason for that. There's a reason for it. Uh, sometimes there's hurtful things, abusive things. There's all kinds of things that can be in our past. And, you know, we've all made mistakes, haven't we? Some of us probably more serious than others. We've all hurt people, probably some more deeply than others. But we've all been a part of that kind of a thing. Uh, and often, you know, the pain of it gets tucked away inside and it's never dealt with. And I'm talking about the pain of having been partakers in it. If you've ever done someone deeply wrong, you know, a lot of times we tuck that away and hold it inside of us. And, and, and so we'll talk about that a little bit. Uh, do you know how to tell if a person's actually dealt with their past hurts? Do you know how to look at a person or talk to a person and know they've, they've learned how to deal with their past hurts? It's, it's not hard. It's how they deal with their present ones. Watch how a person deals with their present ones. How immediate or non-immediate. If a person deals with their present 
hurts and, and things that happen in their life, and they do it immediately, you can tell they've learned to get over their past. But people that kind of stretch it out or they, they, they really avoid it, they haven't dealt with their past either. So they're not dealing with the present. They're not dealing with the past. So what tools does a person use when dealing with present problems? That's the secret. There's a couple of tools we're going to talk about here that, that you can use to deal with past. And we're going to, uh, there's a statement in here I want to make that's going to help you with past and what that's about. There's a story. There's a desert storm soldier. He, he, he's deployed, and he receives a Dear John letter from his girlfriend. He's still overseas. And so in the Dear John, you know, it's goodbyes. But she wrote this in the letter. Will you return my favorite picture of myself? I need it for my new engagement photo for the local newspaper. So he's devastated. Well, I mean, rightly so. But his fellow soldiers, you know, kind of got wind of what was going on. So they went with him, and they, they, they went through the entire camp and got pictures of every man's girlfriends, one, two, three, every, and they filled a shoebox full of pictures uh, with all these guys' girlfriends. And so once they filled it up, they, they sent it to her. And he wrote a note in it. Please find your picture and return the rest. For the life of me, I can't remember which one you are. See, that, that's not really how we address hurts. That, that, that is the how most humans do it, but that's not the correct way to address hurts. It sounds, it's vengeful, right? It's, 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 that was a sweet revenge, wasn't it? But that's really not how we, that's not a tool we should be using. Uh, the tools we do learn to use, what? Eye for an eye, picture for a picture. We, we learn tools like when we, most people when they're dealing with past, here's the tools they actually use. Denial, denial, unforgiveness, revenge, holding a grudge. Sometimes people use all of those tools, and that's how we deal with our past. So let's talk about just real quick two tools that help us to leave the past in the past. First is confession. Confession. You can keep the past in the past by keeping your slate clean. If you keep your slate clean every day, you have no past. If you deal with your issues every day, you have no past. There's no past to look back on. The things are taking. James 5 and 16 tells us to confess our sins to each other, praying for each other. Now, that, that doesn't mean we go and unload all our sins on, you know, don't, okay, it's my turn. I'm going to tell you all my sins. And now it's Derek's turn. He's going to tell you all his sins. That's not really what that scripture is talking about. It, it doesn't mean to just, just block, put it all out there. You know, there's some people you don't want to put it all out there on, right? There's, and I'm going to tell you something a little later as to why. What that scripture really means is that when conflicts, when there are conflicts among us or among anybody that bring about sin into a relationship, you can have conflicts and not have sin. But when there are conflicts that bring sin into a relationship, resolve the conflict immediately by confessing and praying for one another. If I told a lie on Zach... We have a friendship, but now there's a conflict in the friendship, and there's a sin because I told a lie. The right thing to do is to first confess the sin. Now, here's what we usually do. We go to God and confess first. But that's not Bible. We're going to see it here in the Scripture. What I should do is, before I ever go to God, 
Because when I come to God, even in confession, I'm, I'm bringing a gift to God. I'm bringing something to Him. We'll look in the Scripture. I should go to Him and say, man, I'm so, you know what? I, I told a lie on you. It was a lie. I'm just asking you to forgive me. That's the first thing we have to do. And if I do it then, if I realize it and do it then, what happens is there, there, there's the past then goes away. Now, if he doesn't accept the apology, that's a different thing, and that's not on the person that did the lie. That's another We won't get into that. That's a whole lesson. But understand that that's, that's what we should do when these conflicts arise. And do these conflicts arise in church? I'm not asking you all if you all are telling lies on each other. But do these conflicts arise in church? Sure they do. Now, can I say something? Conflicts are that sister so-and-so didn't, or not, rather, sister so-and-so didn't talk to me last week, and so I'm mad at her. That, that's not a conflict. That, that, that's a personal uh, problem that a person has. Conflicts are when sin is involved. It's not a sin if I don't talk to you this week or if you don't talk to me, right? That's, that's not a sin. Sometimes it just can't happen. Uh, it's, not a con- it's not a sin if, I, if Scott and I just have, if we're, here's the deal about people that have conflicts among their personages. Either they're a lot alike, almost exactly alike, or they're nothing alike, and therefore they have conflicts all the time. You ever met that person that you just didn't like? Most of the time it's either because they're just like you or they're nothing like you. It's usually not the in-between. That's the people we have most of our conflicts with. Now, that doesn't mean we won't have them, but understand this. Jana hates this, and I'm glad she's not here because she hates me to use this. But I mean this in the term of all male and female. As a pastor, I don't get involved in cat fights. The cat fight has nothing to do with women or men. Men can have, because they're male cats. Oh, you got, yeah, we use cat fight. You got Janet Ellis. Yeah, you go on the women, and no, they're male cats. It's a cat fight. You know, cat fights usually have, have something to do with personages and you know and so that has to be worked out that's not sinful it's just that two people that don't get along and you know there's people in this church that don't get along did y'all know that (laughs) quit smiling bishop that's normal it's people you know we try our best to get along with one another right that but listen sometimes our who we are and who you who i am and who you are just doesn't flesh out together so, so we, we, but we still pray with one another, for one another, but we have to recognize ourselves. Be, be constantly aware of, of what. So let me move on. I'm going to get into another. When you confess, you admit there's a problem. Confession. We're talking about confession. We're not talking about the Catholic confession. We're not talking about, you know, right now we're talking confess. But when you confess first, you, you open up, you re- you're telling yourself, not the other person you're confessing to, you're admitting to yourself there's a problem. I have a problem. I lied on Zach. That wasn't his problem. That was mine. Now I've made it his. Because I told somebody something about Zach that wasn't true, and now that person's going to believe something different about Zach. Or either they're going to know that I'm just an extreme liar. Either way, I've tied him into it now when he shouldn't have even been tied into something. So there's some things we have to understand about that why confession is very important. And when you go to a person, you know, I'm not lying on you, brother, by the way. When you go to someone, it's immediate, it's very, it's the responsible, it's what Jesus did. Don't, don't let the water pass under the bridge. You get, catch it immediately. Now that you've come to this understanding that, you have, that there's a problem, you can come clean and be honest about it. 
You'll never overcome a problem or issue until you first admit it exists. You'll, you'll, if you have conflict in your life that you can't get over, it's because you haven't admitted that you have a conflict. If you have a problem, it's because you've not admitted you have a problem. Oh, yeah, I, I, I admit I can't do this. There's more to than just saying it. There's an action. If, if I have a problem that, that uh, I'm just going to use this because we're bouncing it off. If I have a problem lying all together, but I, uh, but I keep lying and I keep lying, I keep saying, God, will you forgive me? What, what? Here's the thing. I haven't ever really come to myself and said, you got, you're a liar, dude. You need to get this straight with God and get God to help you because you're, you're going to lie on everybody in the church before it's over with. I just haven't finally come to a place where I admit that I have the problem. So, so let me move on. You know, you, you, some people live in complete denial, and they struggle, and they struggle, and they struggle, and they struggle. And, and I think we often find it easier to confess to God than we do to one another. And I think this is what Paul was headed to. We find it easier. Why? We can confess to God, and he doesn't speak back. He won't slap us upside the head. He won't punch us in the face. He won't tell us to get lost. He won't tell us. But if we go confess to someone that we've done something to them, we're, there may be repercussion physically or, or spiritually or verbally or whatever. But God doesn't do that as far as we see. But a lot of times we can go to God, go to God and say, God, I confess I did this. But have you ever done somebody wrong and you confess it to God, but you never go to that person and let them know you did them wrong? Because guess what? Well, let's keep going. The problem when we don't go and, and, and rectify that is we're deceiving ourselves first. We're totally deceiving ourselves into thinking that God has now forgiven us because we have gone to him and said, forgive me, God, because I lied on Zach. Now, I'm going to Zach and talk to him, but forgive me, God, because I lied on him. We're deceiving ourselves with our confession to God, but not one to another. Maybe... In our confession to God only, we grant ourselves absolution. Maybe there's a reason we do that, as we feel like if we confess it to God, well, I'm clean now. I'm good to go. I don't have to worry about anything. And that's a deception that you're deceiving yourself. Could it be we live on self-forgiveness and not real forgiveness? Just a question. Do we live on self-forgiveness and not real forgiveness? So we can, and, and and here's what, and here's how you can really tell when a person's living that way. They continue, continually relapse into the same problem over and oh, I keep lying about somebody. I keep lying about somebody. I keep lying about somebody, because I'm living on self, not not real forgiveness. In Las Vegas, there's this call-in line called Connection Confession. Y'all heard of it? Connection Confession. I don't, I'm not going to give you. I don't have the number, but. People call in and confess their sins to a recording. Yeah. And, for, and it costs $9 for three minutes. Oh, wait, wait, wait. And if you pay a little extra, you can listen to other people's confessions. Oh, it gets better. The extra service was being so bombarded by people listening to other people's that the originator of this plan said this. Well, it's the technological way to get something off your chest without the embarrassment that comes from confessing to one another. So now we're making, we're making technical excuses. Technology is where we can just not, you know, make things right with one another. Con confession without accountability doesn't go very far. Confession without accountability doesn't go very far. There, let me tell another story, and I'll quit telling stories. This, this is an important story. Y'all listen to this one. The others were, 
these four preachers met for this friendly gathering. And during the gathering, one of them said, you know, our people come to us, pour their hearts out to us. They confess things to us. They don't confess to anybody else. He said, you know what? Let's do that tonight to each other. You know, that's good for us. Confession's good for the soul. So one confessed that he often, when nobody knew it, snuck off and watched movies in a theater in another town because he didn't want anybody to know he was going to watch these certain movies. And so the second preacher said, well, you know, I've got to confess, I love smoking Cuban cigars along with my favorite drink when no one's around. Yeah, okay. The third one said, you know, I attend a secret poker game every week that nobody knows about. The fourth one just sat there silent. And they said, okay, what, what's yours? And he was unwilling. He would not confess. Would not confess. Finally, one said, come on, man, what's yours? And he said, well, i got to confess. I have a problem with gossiping, and I can't hardly wait to get out of here. So confession's important, but understand the liability of it. Because confession requires trust, doesn't it? It requires trust. Now, there, there again, there, there are different types of situations where different types of confessions come up. So uh, just remember this. Confession does require a lot of trust because what happens is that the devil, he, wants, he would prefer that you not confess, but that you conceal it. That way he can throw the guilt on you for all your life. He just keeps, he'll keep, you know, 10 years from now, you remember when you lied on Zach? I, God, I thought I confessed that. Well, it's not God telling me that. That's, but that, that, that'll keep going and keep, it'll be repetitious in your life. Uh, any, anybody want to, I'm going to move on to the next tool, confession. To confess to somebody what you're saying to them is your relationship, our relationship is more important than this mistake that I have made, and I want to make it right to you. Yeah. And, and if you receive it in that way, then you can respond to it correctly. But if, if you don't factor in the fact that, you know, what's important here is, is the relationship. Mm-hmm. Receiving a confession is just as important as giving one. It's just as they ha it has to be, and, and, and Bishop is exactly correct. It's relationship, because have you ever, something happened between you and another person, and you didn't really care about that person, so you didn't care about, you didn't care whether it got rectified or not, because you didn't care about them. When you have relationships, and you care about relationships, confession is huge. Isn't it hard to confess you did a friend wrong? Your husband or your wife wrong, your kids wrong, a family member, a church friend. It's hard, isn't it? Have you ever had to do it? If you haven't, well, God bless you. Keep it up. I've had to do it, and it's very difficult. It's very difficult. But if that relationship's important to you, then it's, it's very necessary. So the second tool to use, the first one is confession, and the second part of that, the second tool, and there's, there's thousands of them, but just these two, is forgiveness. And we think we know what forgiveness is, but let's, let's look at scriptural forgiveness. See, forgiveness is the power that allows you to lay down your right to hurt somebody back because of what they've done for you. Let me say that again. Forgiveness is the power that allows you to lay down the right to hurt somebody for what they've done to you. That's what forgiveness does to you. It's very powerful. Because do we have the right to reciprocate a, a wrong? We don't have that right. But in human 
interactions, most of us put that right in our pocket in case we need to pull it out. Somebody did me wrong and, you know, this has just got to me. I'm going to have to do them wrong back. When, in fact, true forgiveness takes that right away from you. Not, not you allow it. That's the beauty of true forgiveness. It's not something that's jerked out of your pocket. It's something you pull out of your pocket and drop on the ground. That's a lot more powerful when you can lay it down, when you can put it away. Often the baggage we carry around is this direct result of failing to really forgive. A lot of our baggage is that we really, let's think about this a second. You know, we, we could, I've got people in my past, so do you. Uh, I've got things in my past, so do you. Uh, there, there are things and situations in my past that happened to me, so do you. We all have them. And every so often when I get connected with the right person, then I really want to talk about what somebody did me wrong, how somebody did me wrong. That's a human trait. That doesn't excuse it. It's something we do. Why is that? Because down in our heart, there's something that we're still clinging on to. It's a hurt that we haven't forgiven. We may have forgiven the thing. We may have forgiven the thing, but the hurt that it caused us is the part that we lose out on. And if we can forgive the hurt, because if you've ever been devastated and hurt really bad, you can get over that, but, but, it, but the hurt seems to linger and linger and linger. It's because we don't forgive the hurt. You hurt me. What do we do when we're kids? You hurt me. I want to hurt you back. What do we do when we're adults? You hurt me. I want to hurt you back. Not one in a hundred million people really understand what forgiveness is. How did God forgive? He took ownership of my sin to forgive me. Yes. And if you forgive a person, you take the ownership for their wrong. Right. And release them from it. Yeah. So that takes me out of that part of my. Thank you. I'm sorry. Good. That's good because we're right on keys, right on track. That's it. Forgiveness, true forgiveness is when somebody did you wrong and you're not wrong, but you own what they did. Now, man, that's tough. That's tough. When I got in the church, there's some people that I had done really wrong when I was a sinner. I found them individually and went to them and apologized to them for what I had done. Now, that's what I did. Yeah. There, there are situations. Listen, let's, let's talk. This is a good subject. We've got time to talk about it. There are situations in your life you can never go find that person again or that situation. You're never going to, you've got to leave that at the cross. You've got to leave it under the blood. But if there's a situation where you can go and talk to a person, you, it's, it's, it's biblical that we do it. Why is that? Because you can't truly be forgiven unless you truly forgive. And so if you still own the hurt, you haven't forgiven. Does that make sense? See, a lot of people don't believe you can get past being the hurt. You'll always be hurt over it. And, they're, you know, <clears throat> boy, yeah, I'm going to say it. 
because there's just a few of us here. The UPC is full of people that are hurt, and they're hurt, and they're hurt, and they can't get over it. And they go to a church, and they, they come to a church that says, we're going to help you heal from your hurt. And 10 or 15 years later, they're still hurt because they never got, because you know what? As a human being, we like being hurt because now we own some power over somebody. We own some power over somebody. You know, God could say, could say you hurt me. You, I've got power over you. I can just annihilate you. That's not what he did. And so we have to learn something about hurt. There's a time and a place where you can totally get past the hurt. You can get healing from not just the event. Because just like sin, God dis- disdains sin. But the sin is not the thing he disdains the most. It's not the what. It's the why the heart of the matter because he knows when he can get to the heart of the matter the what will go away and it's the same thing with hurt you get it's, it's not the what there are many ways we get hurt but it's the why part of the hurt why am i so hurt over this because you did it to me okay so now the ownership is me it's when you own them their the, the situation they did when you own that then you've got away from me we're so centered within ourselves a lot of times we struggle in life because we just haven't forgiven the hurt. And when you just forgive it and say, you know what, they hurt me, but you know what, God bless them, I'm going to pray for them. And by the way, you know as well as I do, when somebody hurts you, the best thing you can ever do is pray for them. Pray for them. And not, the Lord, let them have a train wreck today. And God, I know you'll split them in half at the tracks. And not that kind of stuff. But God, bless them. Jesus said, bless them. They want to kill me, bless them. Bless them. They, they want to do me wrong, bless them. Now, that's easier said than done, isn't it? It's easier said than done. That's why we have to put on the tool belt and take these tools and use them. You know, you can tell a good framing carpenter because a good framing carpenter doesn't carry a 3-ounce hammer. He carries a 12 to 15-ounce hammer. It's got a long, long, it's not, it doesn't have a short handle. It's got a long, it's got a big head. You can tell, why is it he knows the right tool for the right job? And it's in anything that you do. There's no way that Darren is going to use a Phillips head screwdriver to do his surgeries unless it calls for one. He's going to use the things, if he has to do any kind of, if he has to sew, he's not going to take a, a, a needle out of, out of uh, Becky's, well, I better put these needles, uh, you know, she sews the clothes up. I better take them with me today in case I need to sew somebody up. He's got particulars for that. It's the same thing here. There are particulars, there are tools in our tool belt that if we use constantly, and not only, I can buy a framing hammer tomorrow, but that doesn't mean I'm a good framer. That means I've got to use it. The more I use it, the better I get. You know, I've watched, I've watched doctors, so I get to go in. I've watched them sew up, and you can, tell, you can tell a guy that's been doing it a while. Sometimes they're not even looking at it. They're, they can feel it. And, they, and they're just, or they'll be talking and have a conversation, and they're just going at it. And you're, you're, I'm like, man, I hope that didn't, that's not me, but, but they've become so good at it. And the, these tools are the tools in our tool belt. So forgiveness is that power, and, and the luggage that we carry around is usually because we, we fail to forgive. Matthew chapter 6, verse 14 through 15. For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive also yours. But... But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. Now, the Greek word for trespasses is critical here. 
It's periptoma, 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 which means a side slip. Do you know what a side slip is? It's a lapse or deviation from what should be. A slip up. Jesus said, if you don't forgive men for their slip ups, God's not going to give you for your slip up. Now it's starting to make a little more sense, huh? Yeah, right. I can't think it right off, but yeah, there's another whole. Yeah, there's another whole dynamic to healing. There's another whole to deliverance and all that that your prayers are hindered simply because you haven't forgiven. There's some power in forgiveness that we we've got to you know the same word for trespasses, fault, an offense, a fall, anything. It even goes deeper than that. Jesus told a parable about the man who owed him millions, and he forgave him. He walks from out of his presence, encounters a man that owes him like 20 bucks, and he has a guy thrown in prison. So his master hears about it. He brings him back in, and what he forgive him for, he now holds him responsible for. Ooh. So you can actually... Reach under the blood and pull out all of your iniquity and sin that God has forgiven you for and suffer the punishment for it because you won't get forgive somebody who had who wronged you. Wronged you less. Less. That's that's a thing you we can't ever forget. Yeah. Is that our sin against God is so much greater than anything that anyone can do to us. The Bible said that the that the master turned him over to the tormentors. The most tormented yeah. people you'll ever meet in life are people who are carrying a grudge against somebody. Yeah. They're tormented by it. Mm-hmm. They're miserable people, hateful people. You, you can't stand to be around them. They're, they're t- and that leads us into the next, to hold a, or nurse a grudge. What does that mean? In the critical sense, in the original sense, it means to say bad things about someone, who to say, not to do anything to them, just to say something bad about somebody who did something to you. That's holding a grudge. Why is that important? James 5 and 9. Grudge not one against another, brethren, lest ye be condemned. If you hold a grudge, you're going to be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. The Greek word, by the way, for grudge, sinazo, it means to put in dire make constraints or put in a dire position. Don't hold, don't put somebody in a dire position over what they've done. Don't hold it out over them. You know, uh, you know. I'm I'm thinking about I'm thinking about uh, forgiving you. I'm you just hold on. To, I'm thinking about forgiving you, but I'm, I'm gonna think about it a minute. Never do that. Never do that because the judge is standing at the door. What does that mean? That means you're about to be judged over what you just did. It also means, here, here's the crazy thing when I looked up grudge, the word grudge. It means don't put in a dire position. Don't sigh, murmur, or pray inaudibly with grief, groan, or sigh. Let me say that again because, woo, to hold a grudge means you sigh, murmur, or pray inaudibly with grief, groan, or a sigh. You may not ever say a word that anybody can hear, but you can hold a grudge that will just condemn your heart. 
by having, and all that reads into what? It's an attitude of unforgiveness. That's what a grudge is. It's an attitude of unforgiveness. So which is harder to do? Let me ask you a question, and I'm going to end with this. To be in the position to have to forgive someone who trespassed against you, or is it harder to be in the position to ask for forgiveness for a trespass? I've always found the person who is in the greatest jeopardy is the person who's considered the innocent party. The person that is in the greatest yeah. jeopardy mm. of dealing with an issue is the person who considers is considered the innocent party. The guilty party can humble themselves. But the person who thinks they're innocent, they're the one that has the real problem of being right with God. They're the ones that confession and forgiveness they have the hardest time with. And, and can I say something here? No matter what the situation, this doesn't right anybody or wrong more somebody else. In any given situation where there's an ought or a problem, it's not 100% one person and 0% another person. There's always something there. If it's 99% you and 1% me, I'm still involved. There's part of me that still has created something in this. Even if it's 1%, it's still important. Could be 50-50. But if it's, even if it's always at least 99 and 1. Don't ever think you're totally innocent in any situation. That, that's where you, what Bishop just said, becomes your greatest enemy. I have no need to confess. I have no need to forgive. Can I tell a story from the past? Sure. I had a friend that pastored a pretty significant church in the, on the West Coast. And uh, he had been a pastor before. Then he'd become an evangelist. He'd become an evangelist after he was pastoring in this California city. And this guy walks in the back door one Sunday and motioned to his wife on the organ the following and she drops her head, so he interrupts the service. He said, hey, we've been having an affair. I've come for you. Let's go. So she got up off the organ, left with him, and they divorced. And so probably 15, 20 years later, I was preaching for him. He pastored in Central California, great church. And they were having a conference, a district conference in his church, so that one of the pastors come up to him and ask him about his ex and, you know, what, what happened there. And so, you know, he made the statement. He said, you know, probably a month ago I would have talked to you about it, but she has recently reconsecrated her life to God. She's put that under the blood. And I'd be a fool to reach up under the blood and pull it out. So I talked to him about it. And he said, David, he said, I was raised in a church that taught us that only sex between a husband and wife was for procreation. Any other time, it was a sin. It was wrong. And he said, I put my wife in that position, and I realized that I did. And I realized that I was as much a fault as she was. 
Now, should she have been able to? Probably she should have, but she, but she didn't. But he took his ownership. He realized he was not an innocent party. And, and that really spoke to me about in any situation that nobody falls into sin without their partner somehow participating in that. There's failure on both sides. And we have to be honest enough to say yes. What would have happened had he not recognized that and he not took ownership? He'd probably still be talking about that business. But, he, but, but then that would have condemned him. So taking ownership is very critical, even in situations when we feel like we haven't owned it. Because you know what? If you dig in there enough, you dig in there enough, you're going to find it. It's there. Yeah. Correct. Absolutely. And that's the best thing you can tell somebody. That's none of your business. Unless you want to talk to God about it, you go talk to God about it. And if he talks to you about it and tells you, well, that's y'all's business. Yeah. Yeah. It's not people's business. You're right. You're right. One of the best messages I ever preached, I preached in this church. And the title of it was Mind Your Own Business. Yeah. Problem is, we can't hardly mind our own, much less someone else's. That's such our problem. And listen, in God's economy, in God's economy, it's inappropriate for a believer, a worshiper, to think he or she can come offer a sacrifice of worship that is acceptable before God, knowing that they have something in, in a process with somebody else that's wrong. Matthew 5, 23, 24. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and then you remember that a brother has something against you, leave, leave your gift in front of the altar. First go and reconcile with your brother, then come back and offer the gift because God doesn't receive the gift. He doesn't receive it. So that, that's why that second part is important. And then he puts it on us on the person that you go to confess to to correct it. If they reject you, then you go get a witness. Yeah. That's not somebody that's, that takes your side, but an independent person to hear the discussion between you. And if they judge mm. that person as unforgiving and they still won't do it, you bring them to the church. Yeah. And if they won't hear the church, the Bible said, they become a publican and sinner. You kick them out. Yeah. Paul, Paul said to usher them out, issue them out, take yeah. them out, because they, they have become a publican and a sinner. What does that mean? That means they have taken side with the enemy. That's, that's what that means. Because you're either on God's side or the enemy's side. Whether, whether I liked it or not, before God found me, I was on the devil's side. I was playing it to the fiddle. You know, I've always thought there's something the devil won't do. He is the accuser of the brethren, but when, when he knows something about somebody, you know, I, I, I kind of related to this that, you know, somebody come to the devil and he said, man, I wouldn't touch that. I wouldn't let my tongue touch that nasty story. But for you to do it, you're doing something that's so nasty the devil won't do it. Yeah. 
That's pretty nasty. That's pretty, that's pretty nasty. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so remember this. If you want to keep the past in the past, confession and forgiveness, those two tools alone will make you very successful in the present because you won't have a past. You won't have a past. Keep it, keep it in the present. Anything else? You? We sang a song in the old church, you know, I am loved that you are loved. I can risk loving you. We have the right to love each other. Yeah. You know, for the one who knows me best, loves me most. And, you know, if, if you really understand what God has to put up with to put up with you, it ought to give you a spirit of grace that, that you can put up with anybody. You know, mm-hmm. ye that are taken in a fault, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself until the church becomes totally transparent. You know, we're just, uh, you know, if you can't see yourself in another person's failure, you're yeah. just blind. Be, be willing. You said something there is very powerful, and that's where these two words come together, is that in restoration, there is confession and there's forgiveness. And that restore each other. And how powerful is it, is it to be, if you've, if you've ever had to be restored, We've all had to be restored spiritually. But if you've ever had a situation where you needed to be restored, it's powerful in your life when there are people that love you and, and allow that to happen. It is powerful. Powerful. If you think you have a big mess, just come see me. I'll make you feel real good. Because my mess is way, way, way worse than yours. Bishop, you have you? I mean, that, that's, that's, that's a beautiful part of, a, of being a Christian is you can, somebody comes to you broken, you can tell them they know nothing about your past. And if you share with them 
things that have been broken in your life, you know, that, that that's like holding the golden scepter out to them. And that's where transparency will finally come to. When we're not afraid to do that. Right. We're not afraid to do it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm 12 minutes over. 13 minutes over. Thank you. I'm confessing. I'm confessing. It's okay. That's the 13 minutes I've interrupted you. No. <laughs> See y'all this weekend. For more information about Tabernacle of Praise, look us up online at tabernaclepraise.org. We want to hear from you, so be sure to connect with our Facebook page. We also have a free app that you can use to keep up with events or be notified of bad weather. And you can listen to our sermons directly from the app. Thank you for listening, and have a blessed day.